For a while now, we've been following a series on mission-shaped living based around, or starting from that passage in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends his 72 of his followers out two by two to do mission, to share faith, to take the gospel, to announce that the kingdom is near um, to the people around. And we looked at how, firstly, we can go into such a work, such a mission, with a measure of confidence. Jesus says to his followers that the the, the harvest is ready. It's the, it's the workers that are needed, but the harvest is there. Now, it doesn't mean that every time we seek to do mission, that everything we do for Jesus' sake is going to go well and go easily. And Jesus talked about his followers being persecuted. Now, what Jesus means is that the gospel goes into the world where God is already present and where God is already at work. The church is never commissioned to take something into the world that, that doesn't have a part and doesn't have a place and a use. It's not like we're being um, given the old Betamax uh, videotapes to go and sell around the doors. Nobody, well, hardly anybody uses tapes anymore, but even those that do use VHS and the beta thing's completely redundant. The gospel is not like that. The gospel is not redundant. The gospel is never redundant. There is always a harvest field there. And the thing about the harvest ready for, to be um, brought in is that growth has already been taking place. There's already been work going on. There's already been movement. And, and Jesus promises that we do not go into a world that's completely unprepared. So let us go with a measure of confidence, even though at times it might be hard going. Beyond confidence, the second week we thought about connecting that when the people of Jesus' followers are told and to share faith, it's not as if we're doing that just from a, a safe distance. We're not dropping bombs of the gospel on people or firing lightning bolts. We're getting alongside people. Now, we mustn't limit the work of God, and there are times and occasions when um, God reaches out always without any other human connection of, at all and, and, and touches some's life, somebody's life and brings changes. But on the whole, in the main, the pattern is that of, of Jesus who moved in, Jesus who took on flesh, Jesus who came alongside. And so can, making connections are really important. And in the third way, last week we were looking at the theme of continuing that evangelism and discipleship are not things to be kept apart, but brought together. And we saw in the missionary work of the Apostle Paul how he didn't just start churches, but how he stayed with folks, how he encouraged them, how he gave them the basics of, of the faith. And we're moving on this week to look at the theme then of compassion. So we have confidence, God is at work, connecting, building on the connections with continuing, and this week, compassion. And in Luke chapter 10, at verses 8 and 9, the pattern is, is spelt out about how the followers of Jesus were to, to love and be with and serve those that they went to. This is the motivation for mission. And perhaps the best known verse of the New Testament in John chapter 3, verse 16, we're told, we're told God so loved the world that he sent his Son. A few weeks ago, we were looking at um, the end of Matthew chapter 9 and how Jesus, we're told, when he looked on the crowds, he had compassion on them 
because they were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. It was compassion that moved Jesus to speak to the crowds, to share the good news. It was love that made the Father send the Son into the world and enabled the Son to come into the world. And these and, and many other passages of the New Testament should make it easy or clear that, that love is, is a basis or the basis for Christian mission. But unfortunately, in the story of the church, that's not always been the case. Quite often, sharing faith had been tied up but sometimes with colonization. The church and the state had got together. They went into other countries and conquered in battle. And it was almost as if they took the beaten army, all bloodied and muddied by the war, and, and kind of hosed them all down and then said, well, that's you lot baptized now. You're all Christians. But Chris, because Christianity was going to be imposed by the, the warring victors. That happened. Sometimes it was commerce. And so in the missionary expansion and the 19th century in particular, 18th into 19th century, it was quite often the, the tie-up of business going into different lands, the Far East India Company and taking the missionaries, but, but so that they could build their economic empire, so they could do economic exploitation, and the church was party to that. And then sometimes mission has been done, more, sometimes are thought about as a spirit of competition. Um, I remember someone in a one of my previous charges saying to me, we've got to get folks together, get them into the church, because otherwise the Romans Catholics will, will take over. And again, sometimes the message that's been presented, or at least the message that's been heard, has been, we want you to come and, and join us too. This is a good thing that we've got going, and you probably like it too, and hey, we want it to continue. Now, none of them, colonization or commerce or competition or come and join our, our wee group, none of them flow out of love. Now, last week in the passage in Acts chapter 20, we read how the Apostle Paul could say to the, the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesian leaders, that he had been open with them. He had served them. He hadn't exploited them. He hadn't done mission out of any ulterior motive. He wasn't setting up tent making as some cottage industry to make a profit or trying to curry favor with anyone. It was simply the warm-hearted love of Jesus which had reached out and reached down to Paul. And it's to be the same for us. It's the love of Christ which is to control us. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. Mission is to be done with compassion in and out of love and has have nothing with, to do with ulterior motives. And we are to see, Paul says in verse 16 and following of the, the passage that Miriam read, we're to see things in and through Christ, not in a worldly way anymore, but with new eyes, Jesus' eyes. Now, what does that involve? I mean, it means that we don't see people as more or less important. We don't curry to the, give favor to the, the wealthy or people who have got status. We don't respect those that we think are worthy and not bother with the rest. We don't just hang out with those who are the same type as us. We don't think that there's decent people and then not decent people. And then there's other ways, other worldly ways that I think people look around and, and, and decide who they're going to respect and admire. Um, honor amongst thieves, and some people respect those who cheat and, and get away with it. 
Some only respect those who identify with their cause, and there are plenty of causes out there. These are the good guys, and the others are the bad guys. But none of that is sharing God's perspective. None of that is seeing people in and through Christ. And when we see people in and through Christ, we see verse 18 and following that a key thing, the most important thing, is about reconciliation. Paul writes about how that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and now we have this ministry of reconciliation because that's the basic thing about all people. No matter how rich or how poor, no matter how worthy or unworthy, no matter whether they're going to vote this way or that way, whether they support this team or that team, whether they're, they seem to us good guys or not, all of us need to be reconciled to God. Now, reconciliation implies a breakdown, does it not, of, of a relationship. You don't reconcile people who are already good friends. You don't reconcile people with others that they don't know. Um, there was a new minister inducted into Boswell um, just uh, very recently last week, and I don't need to be reconciled with the guy because I've never met him. It would be a nonsense to talk about reconciliation. We might talk about the importance of getting to know someone, or, but reconciliation is where there has been a problem, where there has been a breakdown. And so just as cure supposes an illness, just as solution supposes a problem, so reconciliation supposes a broken relationship. And this is what Paul is saying in these verses, that this message of the gospel is for all people and they need to be reconciled. But why? Why this call, verse 20, for us to be reconciled to God? What's the breakdown? Is it our feelings towards God? Is it a feeling that maybe God hasn't done his job properly? He hasn't stopped suffering? He hasn't prevented this happening? If, if God was around and doing his work, then I, I wouldn't have such and such to put up with. And, and so therefore, we have some kind of distance from God, feel a bit unhappy with him. Is it, is it the putting aside of that stuff that the apostle means? Well, clearly not, because he'd said, verse 18, that this reconciliation is something that has been done. God has reconciled, past tense, us to himself. And so if it was about my feelings towards God, my unhappiness with him, my thinking he's not done well enough or he's not done his job or anything like that, then Paul couldn't speak about that having taken place in the past. Besides, verse 18 makes it clear it's God who does it. And in verses 19 and verse 21, he makes it clear that what he's talking about is a reconciliation because sin is being dealt with. Now, here is one of the huge problems of our era, that we don't much talk about sin and we don't recognize sin. Someone who is... Um, a heavy smoker um, doesn't necessarily notice the smell and the taste of tobacco, but when a non-smoker is with them, they certainly do. Non-smokers pick it up and other people's clothes and furniture and, and, and so on, because they're not used to that. Whereas the heavy smoker, well, it's, it's, it's around them all the time. And so they've been kind of desensitized. Now, in the same way, we've, we've become desensitized to sin. We've not, like, we've not acknowledged that things are sin. 
But God is clear about sin. Sin is not just murder and sin is not just big theft. Sin is laziness and pride and jealousy. Sin is when we don't do enough to help others. Sin is indifference to the poor and the suffering. Sin is just turning a blind eye. Sin is wanting to have the last word in every conversation. Sin is when we kind of tell the half-truth to put ourselves in a good light, and so on and so on. And the thing is that a holy and a good God cannot be indifferent to this. And in, the, and in those terms, none of us is perfect. And as Romans 3.23 reminds us, all of us have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel is not that God's going to sweep that under the carpet or that he's going to be indifferent to it, but rather he deals with it. Verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so some people might say, God is love, therefore he will not punish sin. The gospel says, God is love, therefore he did punish it and punished it in Christ. But the gospel is also clear, verse 20, that there's a response that's called for, which is why Paul is saying as an ambassador for Christ, he's making his appeal to people, imploring them, be reconciled to God. Now, if somebody today was to develop the vaccine that was going to cure us instantly of COVID-19, what would be the loving thing to do? Would the loving thing be just to say, great, now I've got that and make sure that I get it, my pals get it, my family get it? Surely the loving thing would be to try and make this vaccine as, as available, as, as widespread as possible. It wouldn't be loving just to put an advert in the newspaper and say, well, if people choose a different newspaper, that's just their problem. It wouldn't be enough just to maybe put one notice in, in a radio program and say, too bad if you don't listen to the radio, or too bad if you're not in a, an area of the world where that program's broadcast, or too bad if you can't speak the language and didn't pick it up. No, the loving response is to do everything we can to get that news out there. We've got something that can make a difference. We've got something that's secure. We've got something that's going to change and transform the situation we're in. And that's the basic claim of the gospel. That in Christ we're changed, in Christ we're transformed, we're in a different situation. We are no longer under the judgment of God for his sin, but we are now in the place where we have, verse 21, the righteousness of Christ given to us. And it's a reconciliation. It's a, a patching up. It's a repair job between the holy God and, and us, men and women, who are sinners. And the loving thing is to get that good news out. The loving thing is to, is to share. People can be reconciled to God, and without that recon reconciliation, they're still in a position of, of estrangement from God, of damnation. But, but here is a gospel that says, here's good news. Now, in the, this month of October here in Claremont, we've been encouraging folks to pray for friends, for family members who are, who are not yet Christians, praying and asking God to give us opportunities to share our faith. We provided two, our 
introduction to the Christian faith series, Come and See, have provided that to folks to say, have a look at that. Maybe you could use that. Maybe sit down and, and take someone through the gospel. Why? Because we need Claremont to survive? No. Why? Because we want to be better than another church down the road? No. But because the loving thing is to say, we have something that's good news and we want you to have it too. It would be monstrous if someone had developed a vaccine for COVID-19 and then just kept that information hidden. It'd be monstrous if they left the rest of the world to be hurting and suffering. It's just as monstrous to keep quiet about Jesus. For this is the most loving thing that we can do for someone. Do they have a vast fortune? Well, they won't be able to take it with them. Our best thing we can do for our family is not to make sure that they get a, a big inheritance from us because, well, that'll help in lots of ways, but they're not going to be able to take that with them. It's not going to sort them out eternally. The best thing we can do for someone is not provide them um, access to a, to a job that's a fulfilling career because, well, that, that'll help in lots of ways, but that's not going to be ultimately all their life's about. There's an eternal dimension that is not something that we automatically assume after this, but which is only found in, in fulfillment and being brought into fellowship with the living God through being reconciled to Him. So then let's join with the Apostle Paul in being ambassadors. Not because God needs a recruitment drive, but because here is a loving thing to do. The harvest is ready, said Jesus. We just need laborers. We need folks to connect with others, to continue to minister and, and be alongside, and who have the compassion to say, even though somebody's not queuing up to hear about it, even though somebody's not um, ready, we will think, we will pray, and we will seek to look for the opportunities to say, you know, the best thing I can do to you, the, for you, to have Christ, to share Jesus. Love says, be reconciled to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for you sorting out the issue, you sorting out the problem and sending your son to die for our sin. We thank you that it was because of love that you did that to us and for us. And so, gracious God, help us to know more and understand better and receive more fully the great love of God that is offered for us in Christ. Help us to know more of the worth of what it is to be reconciled, to be in fellowship with, to be one with the Lord God. And help us not to forget that good news, but to be willing to share it. In Jesus' name, amen.